I want to share something with you tonight, which is um, maybe a little unusual um, for me to talk about in this kind of context, but I just believe this is right. But just going to go to the Bible first uh, um, to, to launch off from this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to read it from the message translation so you can kind of get uh, a little bit under the skin of it. Paul says, companions, as we are in this work with you, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life God has given us. God reminds us, I heard your call in the nick of time. The day you needed me, I was there to help. Well, now is the right time to listen, the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our post, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed and mobbed. Working hard, working late, working without eating, with pure heart, clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness and honest love. When we're telling the truth and when God's showing his power, when we're doing our best setting things right, when we're praised and when we're blamed, slandered and honoured. True to our word, though distrusted, ignored by the world, yet recognised by God, terrifically alive. How many of you are terrifically alive? Not quite sure. We're alive anyway, aren't we? Terrifically alive, though rumoured to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die, immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts, yet enriching many, having nothing, having it all. It's an incredible passage of Scripture. Uh, and, And it reminds me that Paul is saying it's tough to follow Jesus right now. That's what he's saying to the people in Corinth. It's tough to follow Jesus right now. It's not easy. It's really tough. And when you go to places like Albania or you go to places like South Africa and you look at the conditions that people are trying to love Jesus in, it's really tough. But it's also tough in our context for different reasons. Because whether you believe it or not, or whether you know it or not, we are in an era of unprecedented shift culturally and in terms of a society as well. And I want to just highlight some of this. We are in a post-Christian context here in the West. Andy spoke a few weeks ago so well and mentioned about the rise of the nuns. Those that on on, on a form would, religious affiliation would tick none. Okay, that's rising in our Western context. This is a quote. A post-Christian society is not merely a society where agnosticism or atheism is the prevailing fundamental belief. It's a society rooted in the history, culture and practices of Christianity, but in which the religious beliefs of Christianity have been rejected or worse, forgotten. That's the context that we're in. Non-Christian and post-Christian are very different. We say we're here for the unchurched. We also need to realise that we need to relate to the de-churched and the post-churched. And there's a whole load of things going on in that. We are in a post-disillusioned context. Moral failure amongst Christian leaders. Sex scandals amongst the church. We are in a post-disillusioned era. We're also in a post-absolute truth context. Sexuality, morality, spirituality, it is not enough to say the Bible says because the response is so what? When you don't believe in absolute truth, just saying it's true is not enough. We've got to understand that the context that we're in has changed radically over these last few years. So what's our response? What's our reaction? Fear, despair, resignation? No, 
hope. This is the kind of context that the early church changed the world in. This was the kind of context that the early church was so radically different and called people to such a radically different lifestyle that they actually changed and revolutionised the world. And I believe it can happen again. I believe it can happen again. History will prove that we are in the middle of history-making times if we will do what it takes. So what does it take? I think the answer is in a little phrase in a, in a song that I used to sing when I was at Sunday School. I don't know whether any of you know this song. Deep and Wide. Does anyone remember that song? Deep and Wide. There's a... Okay, no, we won't go there. All right. It's a great tune, Dan. It's a great tune. You don't want to knock it, I'll tell you. It's a great tune. You'd love it. Uh, deep and Wide. And I think... Let's go back to this passage from Corinthians because Paul then gets personal. Back, back to, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Paul calls the early church to live deep and wide lives. And I want to talk about deep and wide because you're going to hear about deep and wide a lot over this next season, okay? Because deep and wide is a kind of a concept that we're, we feel God is saying, this is the kind of church I want you guys to be. Not deep or wide, but deep and wide. And that's really, really difficult. You see, Vision 2020 is a deep and wide vision. We want to go wide, but we also want to go deep. Uh, building dig, bigger people, digger people, building bigger people is a deep and wide vision. We want to build bigger people who are deeper and wider in their outworking of their faith. Our prophetic roots as a church are deep and wide roots. Your fruit will overhang the walls. Another big word for us was you'll be a resource church. Um, uh, we had a prophetic word years ago about being like a landing strip and aeroplanes would, would, would <laughs> don't talk about this, aeroplanes would land and take off, hopefully with me on them, uh, and that we would be that kind of a church that would send people out and that people would come in. It's a deep and wide vision. What's the faith of a generation worth to you? What's the faith of a generation worth to you? What about your children? What about your children's children? When you read some statistics about the church in the Western world, if we don't arrest and change some of these statistics... There's going to be generations where the church will die out, where faith will die out. And I don't know about you, but I think the faith of a generation is worth something, don't you? And I think a deep and wide vision has got to be what we're being called to. You see, if you go deep or wide, that's easy. So that means, okay, we're going to go deep. We're going to be Christians that go deep together. We're going to go deep in the Word, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We're going to go deep in relationship, and we don't really care too much about everybody else. We're going to go deep. Or no, 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 we're going to be a church that goes wide. You know, we don't need to do that. We just need to go and find people. We need to go and reach lost people. You know, we don't need to go deep. We just need to go wide. Jesus was both. Jesus was both. He was the deepest person who's ever lived, and he was the person that people who weren't religious wanted to be around the most. So he was wide and he was deep. And that's the kind of concept to the church that we believe God is calling us to be. Jesus was both because Jesus said come and Jesus said go. 
Jesus was both attractional and he was missional. He was both deep and he was wide. And I want to unpack these two phrases just for a moment. And then over the next few months, you're going to hear about this in various different ways and and, and forms. Firstly, the call to deep. You know, the number one reason that people leave a church anywhere, and this is the number one reason, it's not deep enough. I've heard that so many times. And really interestingly, we were at a learning community that we're on as a church um, recently, and there's a couple of hundred of the churches uh, from Europe are on that, and there's some guys from America come over. Loads of big, big, big churches, okay? And they all say the same thing. Oh, that happens in our church. That's why people leave our church. And you know what people mean when it's not deep enough? (laughs) See, it depends on how you define it. Deep can mean, I don't understand the teaching, but there were plenty of Greek and Hebrew words, so it must be deep. Deep can mean, I haven't got a clue what that teaching means to my life, but that person who's teaching is really clever, so it must be good. It must be deep. Listen, deep is not about information. Deep is about transformation. You are not deep because of what you know. You are deep because of what you know does in you. And if we are not transformed by the word, it ain't deep, it's shallow. So let's be really careful when we talk about what deep is. Paul says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We're not measured by how much we know. We are measured by how much we love. We're measured by what we do with what we know, not by how much we know. If we don't care about those who don't know God, we're not deep at all. We're shallow. If we're only interested in church that meets our needs, that is not deep. That is shallow. But God is calling us to a depth that is wide in its expression. Deep is important. Deep isn't about telling people how deep you are. That's actually really, really shallow. For us, deep is about many things. It's it's about going deep into living out the teaching of Jesus. Let me say some things that might be controversial to some of you. All of the Bible is equally inspired, but it's not all equally applicable. Not everything in the Bible is as applicable as other things. It's not the stuff that we don't know that we have a problem with. It's the stuff that we do know that we're actually not living out. If we could just live out the stuff that we do know, we'd be incredibly deep. We really would. And the Bible warns against people with itching ears that actually want to just be fed. And I was talking to this guy recently, he leads a very, very large church in the States. And he said, I do this sermon called, It's Time You Got Out of the High Chair. And he says, and I do it, and it's pretty direct, as you can imagine. Because it's actually about, there's so many Christians that get so into feed me, feed me, feed me, that you think, and you say you're deep. Actually, deep isn't about being fed. It's about what are you doing with what you know? How are you feeding yourself in the Word of God? For us, going deep is living out the teaching of Jesus. Going deep is also about creating community. Because by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. One of the reasons that we have, as a church, gone out on a limb here... Okay, we, we, we're restructuring. We'll talk about this at Vision Night in October. And uh, one of the things that Nevin Elizabeth will bring to us is, a, is, is, is leaning into this whole deep concept. We're basically saying to them, help us go deeper as a church. Help us go deeper into community. Help us go deeper into discipleship. But not for our own sakes. So that we'll love you more. And then we'll love what you love and who you love even more. It's about going into community. Small groups are absolutely crucial to the future of our church. 
They're the, they're the future of community. And we're going to talk about that in weeks to come as well. And, and going deep is also about joining Jesus in his mission to redeem the world. And that's a call to go wide as well as deep. So the call to wide. Our strategy as a church, we want to build a church where unchurched people want to come to and where believers can grow. And one of the best feedbacks that we ever get is when people come and say, I really enjoyed that and I thought it was church. Because we want unchurched people to feel that this is a place where they can come, where they don't need to know anything, but they can receive something. Where they don't come into this slightly alien context where people don't speak in a normal language and don't say things that they understand and do things that they don't understand and then walk away thinking, what on earth was that about? That's not deep, folks. It's just alienating. And we want to reach lost people, don't we? So we want to go wide. Sunday morning, our emphasis on a Sunday morning is to be a place where outsiders and guests and those who are not in want to come. You know, the early church had a big blow up in Acts chapter 15. And the blow up was this. Lots of people who weren't Jews were coming into this relationship with Jesus, okay? They were Gentiles. And the big blow up was they're outsiders and they're coming in. What do we need to do for them? What do they need to do before they can fully come in? And then James stood up to speak. He was the leader of the church. He was also the brother of Jesus. Crazy, isn't it? Imagine what your brother would need to do to convince you he's the saviour of the world. It's just a thought, okay? If you've had a brother, all right? But James thought, my brother is the saviour of the world. I believe in, in Jesus just for that one reason alone. Like, because if you've got a brother, okay, and your brother's a saviour and you believe it, what would he have to do? Just a thought. Anyway, he gets up and he says this and what he says rocks the world of the early church and we've forgotten it. Listen. Acts 15, 19. And so my judgment, James said, is that we should not make it, say it out loud, difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So we've got to do everything we can to make it easy for people who are turning, in the process of turning, who may be coming back to God. What does this mean for us? I talked about this with Yetan uh, and with the guys out in Albania. And I said, okay, I, I said to Yetan, I said, every single week we expect people to come for the first time. Even if they don't, we expect it, we assume it, and we speak like it. So every single week I get on say, or whoever gets up here says, hey, my name's Leon. I'm, this is who I am. And I introduce myself. The reason I do that is not because I've forgotten who I am or because you don't know who I am. But there may be one person there who doesn't know who I am. And what we do when we're in too much is that we don't think like that because we all know. But we expect and assume that on a Sunday morning, somebody will be there for the first time. And I tell you what, if they're not there, we're still going to expect, expect it and assume it. And we'll keep expecting it and keep assuming it until they're there. Because the Bible says you speak things though they're not as though they are. And that's what we're going to do. So, so we expect it and we assume it. We aim to create irresistible environments that are excellent, organised, safe and friendly. We assume intelligence, but we don't assume knowledge. So our language is really important. Our approach is really important. I heard recently about a guy that went to a church. He was an unchurched, atheistic guy. He came out thinking, he said, that's really strange. Why do Christians moo? And his friends were going to say, what do you say? They do just, you think, hmm, 
Mm. Mm. And he walked away thinking, all I thought was that they're mooing a lot. They're going, mm, mm, mm. And, and that was the impression that he had. Because we do some things that are a little strange sometimes. And I think we've got to think that through. If we, want to be, if we don't want to make it difficult for people, maybe stop mooing. No, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. So for us, for us, okay, let me explain something about Sunday morning. We, we, this, is, this is in progress. This isn't like, you know, this is something that, that we're working with at the moment. And God may change it. That's fine. We work to a template on a Sunday morning. You may not, not realise that. Here, here's what it is, okay? So basically, our goal on a Sunday morning is to lead people on a journey, not to assume that they're already there. So for us, that's about engaging people, okay? Everybody. So whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, unchurched, de-churched, post-church, not sure what mooing is, whatever, okay? That you're all on a level ground. We're people first. We don't talk about, we don't think Christian, non-Christian. We want to think people. Let's all be on the same. So, we, so Sunday, we're going to start talking about attitude. Everyone has troubles with attitude. We want to put everyone on the same. We want to engage. Then we want to involve, for us, that's singing. We may not say worship much going forward in the future. We know that singing is part of worship. But when you say let's worship, if you're unchurched, if you've got no church background, what does that mean? We know what it means, but we don't want to make it difficult for those who are turning to God. So we want to involve people. Then we want to challenge people. And that's the word of God. That's the truth of the Bible. And then we want people to respond. So that's the kind of a template. That's what we're trying to do on a Sunday morning. We're expecting and assuming that there will be people there who don't yet know God. We're also expecting that people who do know God also need to engage, involve, to be challenged and to respond as well. Does that make sense? That's kind of what we do on a Sunday. And for us, in terms of, of, of teaching the Bible, we, we want to, we hey, we want to follow Jesus. Is that a good thing to do? Jesus very rarely started with the Bible. He, usually, he most often started with where people were. He said, hey, hey, do you know this, this, this man, he, he had a hundred sheep. hundred sheep. A hundred sheep. He lost one. No way. And everyone's leaning in because he's talking about something in their culture that they understand. And then he talks about sheep. And, uh, uh, no, but he just talked about coins as well. And then there's a son, a father and two sons. And he's leading them. In, look, back, back, back. He's leading them into a point of response, isn't he? But he starts, he engages with everyone. Hey, this woman, she's lost a coin. No way. This guy had a hundred sheep. Seriously, he lost one. He left them all and went for, wow. This father had two sons. Guess what one did? Broke his heart. Took money and went, no. What did the father do? He looked out for him. Yeah, when he came back, what would he do? He ran to him. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. This is what happens when you come home to God. It's genius, isn't it? It's Jesus. That's the kind of way that we want to try and communicate the incredible truth of the Bible. And then we want to call people to do one thing, follow Jesus. You see, religion says change and then follow. Jesus says follow and then change. Because we don't want to make it difficult for people who are turning to God. So we just want to invite people to follow him. We want skeptics to doubt their disbelief. I love what Nick says. Three years ago, he said I was an atheist. And now here he's a Christian going on a trip to South Africa. 
Isn't that amazing? We want skeptics to doubt their disbelief. We want believers to dig deeper into God. We want prodigals to return to the Father and the Father's house. We want the lost to be found and the dead to come alive. Not just Sunday mornings. Our big challenge as we move forward is how do we move out beyond the walls? And I want to just speak into that a little bit. We do that currently through our community engagement. We do it currently through our locations. But we do it currently through our vast army of missionaries who are not those that go to Albania or South Africa, but every single one of you sat on a seat this evening. Because that's not what you all are. If you know God, that's what you are. Because a mystery just means that you're sent with the great news of Jesus. So that's how we want to engage. Could the next great move of God not be a move in the church, but a move of the church? Could it be a move of the church? Could we try not to be, not that we are, could we try not to be the best church in the town, but try to become the best church for the town? Not to try to be the best church in the area, but to try to be the church that the area really needs for them. A church that's both deep and wide. And then I had a a recurring thought that came back to me again when I was away over the weekend And I shared this with the church in Duras, but I think it's for us as well. And it's from the end of John chapter 10. And Jesus can't seem to do anything in this certain part of Jerusalem. And so much so, and Jesus was like fully God and fully man and incredible. Yet the Bible said there was such unbelief there that they picked up stones and they talked of stoning him and he could do no miraculous signs, nothing. Then the Bible says, then he crossed the Jordan back to the place where John the Baptist had been. And this is what it says in John 10. It isn't up there. He said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. So in that place, Jesus could do nothing. And there's nothing wrong with Jesus, but there was something about the ground, something about the atmosphere, something about the hunger or lack of it. Then when he moved to this place, many believed in Jesus. And God spoke to me so many years ago about this and said, why can't this place be that place? Why can't this place become that place where many believe in Jesus? And I believe it can, don't you? Like, like what Simon was saying, why can't Rowley be that place where many come to believe in Jesus? Why can't Hagley be that place? Why can't Albania be that place? Why can't Halzone be that place? Why can't your school or your college or your university be that place where many come to believe in Jesus? I think it can, but it will take something. It will take something. Firstly, it will take death. Take death. Because unless a grain of wheat dies and falls in the ground, then nothing will grow. It will take death. It will take death to selfie. It will take death to our likes, to our dislikes, to our preferences, to our opinions. It will also take courage. We'll have to be willing to try some things. We'll have to be willing to change and to adapt. Andy Stanley, who wrote a book called Deep and Wide, which we've all read as leaders. So incredible. We don't necessarily go with all of it, okay? We just take what we can take. But there's so much great truth in it. He says this, marry your mission, but date your model. Date your model. Date the kind of things that you do, but marry the mission. Fall in love with your vision, but stay mildly infatuated with your approach. In other words, just make sure you know what it is that you're doing. So many churches are dying because they've fallen in love with the wrong thing. They've lost sight of the mission. They're just trying to fulfill the model that they did years ago. Courage. It's going to take unity. 
One of the biggest weapons that the enemy has is disunity. And guys, I think you've already heard tonight, so much good stuff going on. If the enemy could threaten that, he will. Because he won't be bothered while we just sing and pray and do stuff together. But he'll be really bothered when we start getting out beyond the walls. He'll be really bothered when we start reaching the people that we are starting to reach now. And disunity is such a big one. So it's going to take death, it's going to take courage, it's going to take unity. And finally, it's going to take God. It's going to take God by his spirit. The first time the word church is used in the New Testament, which is when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against. He says, I, so it's, me, it's mine. I will build, I'm going to do it. My church belongs to me. I'll build it, I'll sustain it. And then one day I'll come back for it. That's incredible. Story of the church is not just unexplainable, it's undeniable. Today, over a third of the world's population claims some kind of faith in Jesus. The Roman Empire is long gone. Ancient Judaism died with the destruction of the temple in AD 70. But today, one third of the world's population claim Jesus as the centerpiece of their faith experience. Deep and wide churches require deep and wide people. And I want to ask the band to come back if they can and maybe you can... Move the, um, the screen for us. This season, September, as we move into this new season, would you commit with me? Okay, I want to commit to this. Would you commit to becoming a deep and wide Christian? Someone who wants to go deeper into who God is, deeper into community, but wide with the love of God. And if we're going deeper, we must be going wider or you'd have to question whether it's deep at all. It wants to be deep and while my prayer is for you to be a deep and wide believer, no other faith experience will fulfill you. You were created for a deep and wide open, spacious life. Why don't we stand together? Why don't we stand? I want to invite you to do something. In a minute, I'm going to worship. Just got a little bit of time. But just maybe... Put your hands out in front of you just for a moment. If, if you can do that, just try and tune out from everything else. You've heard a lot tonight. I don't know where you're at. But could you just say, God, take me deeper. But Lord, take me wider. I don't want to stay comfortable. I don't want to stay just about me. Lord, I want to reach someone. God, this year I want to reach someone. Lord, when I go to school, when I go to college, when I go to work, when I'm in the community, Lord, wherever I am, God, would you, would you cause me to live an open, expansive life? Not that smallness that Paul talked about, but an open, expansive life. Jesus, would you cause us as a community to go deeper into you, to go deeper into truth, to go deeper into relationship, but to go deeper into mission. So we stay deep and wide. Our hands are open to receive, but our hands are open to give. We want to be both those that receive and those that give. We want to be those that come to you and go with you. 
We want to be those that are attractive to people, but we want to be those who go to where people are as well. And so, Lord, we have our hands open tonight and we say, Jesus, would you come? Would you make a way where there seems to be no way? Would you make a way where there seems to be no way? Lord, I pray for us as church going forward, Lord, in this season, God, may this be an incredibly deep and wide season. May we experience depth of relationship with you and with one another, but may we also experience the joy of seeing hundreds of people come to faith in you. Seeing like those, you know, the kids looking for food that become leaders in the church. God, those kind of incredible stories. God, may we see that in our day. May we see that in this community. May we stand for something, as John said earlier on. May we stand for something and may we reach people with your love and with your passion, we pray in Jesus' name.